Hey y'all, welcome back to Where Oppression Meets Psychology. This is your girl E-Money and thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is called The Case of the Misplaced. So y'all, I'm really excited for today's episode. In truth, it's really a devastating story that I'm going to share, but I'm hoping this story inspires the many people working closely with diverse children and students. So let's just get straight into it. So today's episode features a very special lady, Michelle Cortez, and her story exemplifies how the American education system failed a culturally and linguistically diverse student. So this story begins with Michelle Cortez attending Cajon Valley Union School in the first grade. In the first grade, Michelle was referred for psychological testing after teachers noticed she was having a difficulty reading and writing. It should be noted, however, that even though she received this referral, Spanish was her native language and she didn't begin to speak English until she started receiving formal education at this very school. So after she was referred and examined, her examiners noticed that she had a different native language. And they also noticed that she had a high rate of absences, which they believed could contribute to some of her difficulties in classes. So they concluded she didn't belong in special education and sent her back to her original class. So helpful for her reading and writing difficulties, right? Well, absolutely not. And this is evidenced by Shelly being referred to a psychologist again in the second grade for the same challenges. However, this time the referral noted that she had challenges with verbs and pronouns as well. Unfortunately, Her examiners didn't take the time to assess and gather proper data, so they were unaware that she was primarily Spanish-speaking and she was tested in English. Unbeknownst to her, this was a major turning point not only in her academic trajectory, but also in her life. This very point was used as a predictor for her success. Shelly was diagnosed with a severe expressive language disorder and was placed in special education after being tested in English. Every three years after that, she was tested again, so in the 5th, 8th, and 11th grade. But Shelly's new placement in special education didn't include curriculum to increase her English proficiency. So as she continuously got older, her verbal scores remained stagnant. Y'all, it's reported her scores hadn't improved from kindergarten to high school, thereby mistakenly reinforcing a language disability she never had. 
But wait, y'all. The negligence enacted by members of this school district didn't even stop there. So y'all remember I said Shelly was placed in special education, right? So let me kind of lay out what that looked like. Shelly girl was placed in the class that was designed for students with severe mental disabilities or more neurodiversity. But when I say this, I'm basically referring to things like low-functioning autism, serious emotional disturbances, and intellectual disabilities. So some of the tasks and kind of goals for the class included going on field trips designed for skills building related to like riding a bus or eating at a restaurant, things like that. It's reported that these classes were really unhelpful for Shelly. So Shelly was more advanced developmentally and often found herself serving as a TA or helping other students master things she had already figured out. The kicker was when she was forced to repeatedly take courses even after getting above satisfactory grades such as A's. I know y'all probably like, what? Did Shelly have any advocates? Where were her people? Well, indeed, she did. But like many of us, she was reared in a single-parent household. For her, her father trusted the school district to effectively do their jobs and provide his daughter with tailored quality education and instruction. So Shelly's father also had concerns about her placement in special education after, you know, kind of interacting with her and then seeing her grades in the courses. So being the good dad he was, he filed a due process complaint and he requested that Shelly be removed from the classes. Y'all, I can't say it enough. The district chose violence. His request was denied, and he wasn't even provided a reason. So at this point in the story, Shelly and her dad recognized that she was misplaced. What they didn't recognize was the implications of being misplaced in special education. After Shelly went on to graduate, she abruptly and heartbreakingly became aware of how special education really impacted her life. For some, special education is a useful placement that helps students meet developmental milestones. And for those that are misplaced, well, it can actually impede on the ability to actualize their full potential and growth. Shelly's goals were outlined even in her IEP. Her dream was to go to automotive school, even go to Universal Technical Institute in Long Beach, California. However, the dream was actually progressively shattered when every teacher and psychologist neglected to use multi-informants, culturally responsive, and multi-methods of assessment. 
After Shelly graduated, her dad took her to an orientation at UIT. However, she was turned away and told she wouldn't be able to attend because she received a certificate of a completion instead of an official diploma. Real quick though, let's just acknowledge the irony here. I mean, what is an official diploma except a certificate stating you completed the outline curriculum? First, the stigma associated with special ed is unreal. This placement signifies a low predictive success and incapabilities. Second, something is wrong with the designed curriculum if after 12 years of education, you can't get a certifiable degree. It makes me question the validity of special education for those that would benefit from remediated classes. If students have the capabilities and are not meeting developmental milestones to warrant a diploma, who are these placements benefiting? These are just thoughts for consideration, y'all. But back to Shelly. I know her and her daddy wanted to fight everybody up in that school. So you're probably enraged too at this point, but still curious about what happened to lovely Shelly. So after giving you all a harsh reality check to the things that really occur within our education system, I am happy to say Shelly ended up securing an advocate who was passionate about the very story I'm sharing with you all today. Michelle's transcripts became reflective of a diploma despite not meeting the requirements. And last I heard, she currently works full time in auto repair. So yay, Shelly. We love a smart, strong woman doing what she enjoys. The people love to see it. While I'm happy to announce Shelly had somewhat of a happy ending, a lot of people don't share the same sentiment. In fact, Shelly's two sisters were also misplaced in special education, but at present still find it difficult to get the most basic jobs because of their certificate of completion. This is the case of the misplaced. So let's dive into this a little bit. Why did this all happen? How did Shelly get to the point of being turned away from this program? Let's just take a second to rewind. The first examiner did well. They determined that other contributing factors may have led to Shelley's academic challenges in school. So great job, examiner. I wish your follow through was better, though. So they considered that native language was contributing to her presentation. We love it. That's a major consideration, if not the consideration. 
But still, there were no Utah recommendations that followed this. This is school. Shelly was there to learn. The teacher said she was having difficulties in class, so why wasn't this addressed? But wait now, let's, let's talk about the teacher. We cannot forget about the teacher. While I know teachers are very overworked and underpaid and they try their best and succeed at doing a lot with a little, teachers still need more education regarding linguistic differences and how that can influence the clinical presentation of a learning disability. So it is reported that Shelley had difficult problems with verbs and pronouns, which impacted her reading and writing skills. Well, just a thought for consideration, when you're learning a foreign, when you're racially diverse and linguistically diverse and culturally diverse, and you're learning a foreign language, meaning English, while also attempting to learn the curriculum that was designed for native English-speaking white students, you may have some learning challenges. But that is not equitable to the diagnosis of a learning disability and subsequent special education placement. So in summation, Shelley should have never been referred, and the examiner should have provided Utah recommendations in her IEP. The examiner should ultimately remember that the job description doesn't just include testing and assessments. It also includes planning and implementing techniques to help children thrive in school, whether it be ELL students those identified with specific learning disorders, or those that just may face challenges. This is a pervasive problem that needs to be addressed. It starts with the referral. Did y'all know that 80% of referrals are made because of concerns regarding reading problems? Notably, this is a concern for many ELL students because they are likely to present with this as they're learning English. In a 2002 survey, 13.5% of all ELL students were referred, and of that, 9.2% were actually placed in special education. This is in direct conflict with the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. It specifies that a disability cannot be determined by a lack of appropriate instruction in reading language, math, or limited English proficiency. So it begs the question, why is this still occurring? Well, examiners and school administrators are making decisions based on four assumptions. One, an intelligence test item is a situation in which the behavior of the testee is dependent on his or her mental abilities. Two, an individual's mental abilities determines how many and which words they understand. Three, 
It is difficult and time-consuming to determine all the words an individual knows, so sampling of culturally loaded English words are used, and the individual's ability to understand them are generalized to estimate their entire vocabulary. And four, if the testee fails to master the words, it is because they're intellectually incapable instead of their knowledge being dependent on exposure and experience. Instead of testing for intelligence and cognitive abilities, students are actually being tested for levels of acculturation, educational experiences, placement in comparison to population means, and whether students fall short as evidenced by placement in relation to the standard deviation. So in addition to falsehoods surrounding assessments, there are other reasons for misidentification as well. One of the reasons is looking at intrinsic factors versus extrinsic factors. Examiners should focus on the underlying factors that may contribute to a student's challenges. Another one is not enough data gathering. In the case of Shelley, examiners should have used multiple informants and multi-methods for assessment. If examiners had included a parent as an informant, they may have realized her native language was Spanish. They should have also pulled school records and explored why Shelley's scores were stagnant despite being enrolled in remediated courses. This would have been helpful and would have indicated that the recommendations that were being implemented weren't helpful. Another consideration is bilingualism. Examiners should have considered how culture might have been influencing presentation. Also, working from a discrepancy model. Some examiners attribute discrepancy in scores to be attributed to a specific learning disorder. While it may simply be a challenge related to language acquisition. And the last reason for misidentification is time. It's very time consuming to conduct thorough and accurate assessments. It's even more time consuming to develop appropriate recommendations. But as depicted in the case of Shelley, it would have been time well spent. The last identified reason is examiners evaluating students from a medical model approach. Academic challenges are often seen as pathological, and this has led to an overrepresentation of students in special education. Y'all, there's a need for tailored instruction for ELL students, and there's a disparity in graduation rates. Only 54% of ELL students graduate, in comparison to 86.4% for all other students. So be mindful. Remember that academic content plus language equals a greater challenge. So what are some best practices for assessing ELL students? After receiving a referral, it's essential for examiners to consider exclusionary criteria. 
There are many things that could contribute to a child's academic challenges in school. It could be a result of food deprivation, home stress, or even bullying. So before a child is labeled with a disability, other stressors should be explored. It's also important to consider the student's academic history. If an ELL student performs better in other courses or in previous years, this can help distinguish between disability and external factors. Also, it's not enough to identify the problem or barrier to academic success. Providing the teacher with concrete recommendations to support the teacher and student in a classroom setting is also important for a psychologist providing effective services. And a last recommendation, the Student Oral Language Observation Matrix, SALAM. It assesses listening comprehension, vocabulary, fluency, grammar, and pronunciation. Basically, it's a structured evaluation that can be administered in any language. And this allows for the differentiation between disability and language differences. It can also be used to track progress for the implemented techniques for ELL students and their acquisition of reading and writing skills in English. So that's all I have for y'all today. And thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope this podcast encourages you to practice and interact with neurodiverse or linguistically diverse people from a strengths-based perspective. And please remember, y'all, struggling does not equal disability. So this is where Oppression Me Psychology with your girl E-Money, the doctoral trainee. And I'll see y'all at the next episode. Thank you.